Welcome to Recurring Nightmares, episode 47. I am Jeff, joined, as always, by Chris. Hey. And we went a little bit out of our comfort zone this month. Uh, two pretty different movies for for uh, our show. We usually do horror or horror-adjacent. Although I guess you could argue that these are kind of scary. In a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're doing two films, two classic films, kind of, about the media, um, and it should be interesting to talk about. First time watch on both of them for me, I think for you as well. Yes. Uh, and we will get into them uh, in a little bit, but first, as always, we always start off with what we've been watching. Chris, what have you been up to over the last few weeks? Have you been watching anything? Uh, a little bit. Um I'll talk about a few things here. Uh, first up, I watched a movie on Screenbox called Here for Blood. Uh, Screenbox and it's a bloody disgusting. I think they're the ones that, that basically mm-hmm. own Screenbox. They were pushing this movie. Uh, Here for Blood. It was supposed to be like a horror, a wrestling horror comedy. Um, which is a weird combo. But like. <laughs> Uh, you know the, the the buzz on it seemed pretty decent. I thought it was brand new. It's not. This movie is is a uh, a year and a half old. Came out in twenty twenty two, and I don't know. Calling it a, a wrestling movie is is a little weird. The the main character he is a professional wrestler. Like that's his occupation in the movie. So he's this big beefcake. But this is a movie that is. He's a babysitter. He's babysitting this kid, um, and like bad shit happens, and like so, like they, they, it's like a home invasion, but they're like demons, and and he is protecting. But he's he's big wrestler dude. Yeah, so like that's that's the like, and he doesn't know how to really interact with kids and or anybody because <laughs> like that that's what they kind of paint this wrestler dude out as and. It's fine. It's kind of funny. It was enjoyable enough for like it's like I think a hundred minutes long. Um, the the action's not super great, but the, the you know there's some good gore in it. Uh, there's some really funny lines um, when it kind of gets revealed what is going on. It's like, shit. That's weird. Um, and it's just it's just fun enough, but yeah, it's not anything special, but. Uh, um, and I think I do think pitching it as like this wrestling movie, like there's one part in the entire movie, uh, two. So the movie starts off, he's like in a wrestling match or whatever. So they're showing him doing that, and then he's fighting off this demon in the kitchen, and he keeps like elbow dropping <laughs> over and over, <laughs> and like the the head just keeps cratering in. Uh, that's the only time, though, that, like, any wrestling moves are used, like, because otherwise he's just, like, punching or kicking or hacking at it with a knife or um, an axe. Like, it's not, he's not, like, doing wrestling moves on it. He just happens to be a wrestler that is in this weird situation as a babysitter. And he's not a wrestler in real No, I don't life. think so. He's just an actor. Um, if he is, he's, like, probably some independent dude I've. Like, I don't know him. Nobody in this okay. film has like nobody knows who anybody in this film is. Um, but disgusting was really pushing it. It's fun enough. Like 
if you have screen box it's worth it if you have nothing else going on for for, for a night yeah. um i wouldn't go out of your way to uh hunt this one down yeah um that's it for movies. I did watch uh, some TV stuff. I finally I talked about this a couple months ago. I would started watching a a Netflix anime called Blue Eye Samurai, um, which had gotten some buzz around it. Um, I finished watching that. That's very good. Not entirely sure. I love where it ends, uh, and they've set it up for a season two. Um. I don't know how that's going to work out, but th- this first season of it is quite exceptional. I don't really watch a whole lot of anime, but um, it is more of like a mature uh, storyline that is going on where this, this samurai is hunting down all the the white people. There's four white people left in Japan, um, and they have all aligned themselves with uh, kind of the, the political power here to bring guns and stuff. But uh, the samurai is a product of one of them. And uh, so they are, they are the child of one of these, these white people that are here. And uh, the, the way the, the country is at the time is basically if you are not pure blood Japanese, you are ostracized and considered like a mutant or a freak. Um, so this samurai is out to, like, basically kill the people that created them to uh, get vengeance on them having a shitty life. It's really neat, really well done. Um, animation is fantastic. There's some really good stuff in the last uh, two or three episodes. I think it's eight, eight or nine episodes long. Um, it. As I said, not sure I like where it completely ends up to set up the the season two that supposedly is coming, but it's a very very good um, television. I think. Did it get renewed for season two? It did. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, it was a pretty big hit. I remember you talking about it. I thought about giving it a shot. I think I did put it on for like five minutes, and I was like, I don't watch anime. <laughs> <laughs> I should give it a real shot. I think if you if you get into like and it, like here's the thing like I don't I don't recommend if you if a show doesn't click with you in like the first episode I don't recommend sticking with it because it it might just not be for you and you're just wasting your time. Um, this it was a little bit more of a slow burn. I like the the content you know the, the kind of the the backstory here that they're going for. Um, the cast is really good. Randall Park, George Takai, uh, Masiako, Ken- uh, Kenneth Branagh. Um, like they, they have a pretty good voice cast going on here, and they they all give very good performances. Uh, but yeah, if you're not like you watched it and were like, this this isn't my thing, like that's understandable. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I gave it a serious shot, but I just was like, okay, not in the mood for trying to to do this tonight or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I put on for a second. I was just like, uh, I don't know. The, uh, and I, I would, I would kind of disagree with you that sometimes I think TV shows do take a couple episodes to get going. Sometimes they, they don't always, they you know. do like, I'm, it's just sometimes like those shows just take like really long to get going. And like, you're just like, what am I doing? 
like and if you put the time in yes you're gonna get something out of it but there's so much tv out there that yeah like if you're like this isn't clicking for me right away you can go watch 15 other things that are gonna click for you um i like it i think it's i I recommend it i think uh, if you you were interested at all in animation um it's it's well very well done and you'll be back for season two. I will. Uh, we'll see. This, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to like it. The setting is going to change from uh, this Edo era Japan um, to uh, uh, Europe. So I'm not sure if I'm going to enjoy that aspect of it. But it, it Dave did an excellent job here. So um, maybe maybe they have a, a really good story going forward. Um. Two other things real quick. Sure. Uh start watching True Detective Season 3 because I never watched it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and and uh, you, you might talk about True Detective Season 4. I am, uh, yeah. Night, Night Country. And like it, that that was kind of what got me to do it. I was like, all right, fuck it. I, I, I like detective stories. I like the first season of True Detective. I'm going to watch this third one so I can watch this one that everybody's talking about and is like mm-hmm. up in arms on. I know they don't, they don't necessarily follow each other, but uh, three oh. got three, three was pretty hyped. Um, and I liked that first episode. It was pretty good. Okay. So you've only watched one episode. Yeah. Um, Marshala Ali, I think is the, the, the main detective yeah. here. Yeah. So like, I'm just into it. Like they, I know they found the they found one of the bodies, so like that that's where I'm at. So vaguely remember, like I will say this: I remember I liked season three quite a bit. I remember it's a little slower, and um, I just remember the ending, and I liked the ending. I thought it was neat. I don't know. <laughs> Check back with us next month too, if you think. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, well, yeah, did you ha- did you have anything else you wanted to say about it, or, or did you have uh, something else? I mean, it, else? it's those. It's a slow burn show, right? So it's like they set up a pretty good mystery. Two kids go missing. I'm kind of hooked on it. Like that at the the end is the way that show really works is the end kind of gives you a little reveal. You know, like shit, what happens next? And the mm-hmm. way that the way season one and three work is like kind of told in two perspectives one directly from you know you're, you're seeing it as the the detectives are doing the case and then and another one being interviewed yeah like an interview two wasn't like that if i remember correctly like two was weird um not I, bad I, just different i think you're right about two but i actually forgot that about season three as well that they did the i think that's one of the best things about season one of true detective is, is like the present day interview versus like you seeing what, like what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't remember that they did that again for season three. So my memory of season two, you can't uh, trust that either. It, season three is even more interesting because they added on, on a, a third time frame. So it's mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the case takes place in the eighties. That's when the, the actual murder crime happens. Uh, the interview takes place in the '90s, and then uh, he he meets yeah. his wife, and they're having an interview where he his memory is fading. Yes, 
yes, uh, yes, 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 in, yes. In like the the two thousands, two thousand tens. It's really neat. Because, he's like all he's like old, right? Like yeah, very very cool concept to like have three different kind of perspectives. Most of it takes place in the eighties, where they're showing the detective. Yeah, but um, neat to have those three. Uh, cool concept, I think. So. I will. I will get yeah. back to you. Uh, I will finish watching that, and then hopefully get to. I think season four is what six episodes, so I don't, I don't even think shorter. It's yeah, be very long. And finally, um, this just debuted, I think last night, on FX. The show called Shogun. Um, well, I was I, like when you were talking about the anime, I was gonna bring up Shogun because I was gonna ask if you're gonna check it out. Yeah, so it just made me think of it. I I watched the uh, the first episode. There's two out. I did not did not get to watch the the second episode yet, but uh, it's really cool. <laughs> I I think I went in with like weird expectations. People are like, oh, this is gonna be like this is like the 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 Game of Thrones we've been waiting for. I saw something like that today. Like this is the next Game of Thrones. No, <laughs> like I don't. It's it is very much more realistic that like not that Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was fantasy. There were dragons and shit, but like a lot of it was political. And maybe that's the what they're going. That's where that comparison came from. Because there's a lot of like political backstabbing, and and uh, you know. That's where a lot of the action happens is in, in the back and forth politically and how they're maneuvering their chess pieces. Um, but this is very much like it takes place in 1600s Japan. Um, it, there's there's the side of the Japanese. All of that is done in Japanese. So lots of subtitles in this. And then there is um, an English merchant and he speaks English to other people that are European. Um, so you get some English mixed in there. But uh, neat story so far. Um, I don't really want to... Basically, the, the emperor has died, has left an heir that is like too young, like eight, nine years old. Mm. So can't rule yet. And then there's these five that are five lords that are supposed to be the regents they're basically the you know the governors of the land out there uh and they're supposed to just kind of be peaceful until the kid can come to power and he's old enough to take the throne as the emperor and there's there's some backstabbing going on as somebody else tries to consolidate power and that that's where this is going to end up being like somebody's going to call themselves shogun and, and be in charge of japan um and i believe they're, they're pointing to hiroki sonata um who you, we've we've seen him here in movies like sunshine um, he's great japanese character actor seen him in a lot of stuff over the years um but uh this very cool very very neat um I, I'm kind of upset now that I did not like I. We've been me and the wife have been seeing like trailers for it or you know commercials for it. We we're both like, yeah, we should check that out. And I just the only reason probably I haven't gotten around to it is because I've been watching the Shield. 
just like binging the shield <laughs> watching watching another great fx show so. yeah um uh, it's up on hulu right now the first two episodes yeah so. I, I will i will get to it i mean i can always put the shield aside like literally like, we were just watching it just now and i came in here to do podcasts i'm like you could keep watching it if you want i know what happens like <laughs> you know I will say the first episode absolutely brutal. Like not like a lot of killing, but um, there is like somebody gets beheaded out of nowhere. You don't expect it, and then th- there is a scene that is just uh, gruesome. Um, as a, a, somebody gets executed in like the most gross and sadistic way possible, um, that I think you could be be executed. Uh, and it's it's pretty foul. Uh, I was not expecting that, or the nudity, because uh, I didn't realize FX could uh, have nudity. Um, FX could do whatever now, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I am not opposed to it, but I was also like, that was another thing. I was like, and how is this going to be like Game of Thrones? Like there was like there was lots of fucking going on in Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and yeah, there there's not a lot, but there there's some nudity in the first episode um, of this and. Um, the, you know, the language isn't, they're not cursing all the time, but they're not holding back either. So, um, just out of curiosity, is it in Japanese or is it in English? Uh, so the Japanese, anytime anybody that's Japanese is talking, it's, it's all in Japanese. So there's subtitles for that. And then, uh, the, uh, the English, uh, ship merchant, he speaks English and he can't communicate with them but there are some there are some portuguese and spanish that have come over prior to to that and you know they've brought christianity with them and um so that's like a a, kind of like a minor plot line but they have learned japanese so they they're dual language so they're able to talk with the the english sailor and uh translate um for the japanese back and forth so you get Conversations with him are in English, and then conversations between the Japanese are in Japanese. Hmm. I'm kind of surprised they actually went with people speaking the actual languages for a TV show. But yeah, but uh, it doesn't really bother me one way or another. I'm just, I just I just find that surprising. I was curious. Uh, yeah, like especially for something that's being pushed out there on like regular TV. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like as a as a movie, sure, but a ten episode TV show, like it'll be interesting to see how it does because there's a lot of people that just are not they're not willing to give a show that has subtitles a chance. So uh, certainly not ten episodes worth. Um, but first episode, it, I loved it. It makes it a harder sell for the wife because she can't play a game on her phone or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I caught myself uh, I do doing that. I was like, I looked down at my phone and like the, the Japanese characters were talking, and I'm like, it's like shit. I have no idea. I had to like rewind because I have no idea what she said. Attention. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. But yeah, you really like it? Yeah, yeah. So far, uh, I'm gonna watch the second episode probably you know tomorrow or over the weekend and. Then uh, once a week from there on out for the next eight weeks. So, what have you been uh, watching, Jeff? Not too much, really. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, really, not much. Like I, I did see one recent movie that 
I thought it was up for some awards, but and it is, but just not doesn't have any Oscar nominations, I don't think. And that's called um, All of Us Strangers. Have you heard of it? No. It's uh, it stars the hot priest from Fleabag. I can't think of the actor's name at this moment. He's a good actor. Um, he is a gay writer who lives by himself in in like a huge high rise apartment building. And he's working on a um, a book about his parents who he lost at, at a very young age when they died in a car accident. And the premise of the movie is, like, one day he's, I guess, maybe looking for inspiration or whatever, takes a train over to, the, like, his childhood home where he grew up, and his parents are in there, like, at the age that they were when he died, you know, so like they're still like in their thirties or whatever. Um, and he's able to like talk with them and visit them and go see them whenever he wants, you know, even though they're basically like ghosts, you know, um, neat, you know, premise for a movie, you know, in many ways, kind of the, the, the same premise as back to the future, but it's, this is like, a. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't like a fun zany time travel thing and it's not like horror or anything like that it's just like kind of a sad strange you know um it's like what if movie like what if you could what if you could like talk to people that you lost you know 30 years ago what would that be like catching up with them uh i thought it was a pretty good little movie and, and um it goes some places that kind of surprised me near the end but uh, like I don't really want to say more than that. Um, I don't want to spoil the movie for people that might be interested. But uh, yeah, I liked it, and it's uh, it's on Hulu now. Okay. I want to say so you can check it out for free if you're interested. Again, I thought it was up for some Oscars, but uh, not that you know that's here nor there. But uh, I thought for sure like he was nominated, and maybe like I actually thought it was the Best Picture nom, but I was wrong. Um, but it's good. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on is a TV show called Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which, uh, I don't know. Did you ever see the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Brad Brad Pitt, Pitt, Angelina Jolie split up, uh, Brad Pitt and, uh, um, what's her name? Um, the girl from friends. I didn't even remember that. Yeah, I just, but I I I, re, I know I've seen it. I remember liking it, but I remember the premise of that movie is like they were a married couple, but like they did not know each other. Like each other was yes, yeah. And for, this for show agencies, I believe. Like they, for different for different agencies. Yeah, they they were different, or they were both assassins for different agencies or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. I've been. I haven't seen it since it came out. It came out what almost twenty years ago now. Yep. Um, but I remember liking it. I don't know about you. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. But this is like this show. This new show. It stars uh, Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. It's like an inversion of that premise. It's these. You see, like it starts off. You see. Um, these two people being interviewed for a job with this agency to like basically be a spy and they get the job and then they are paired up together as like a fake couple. Like 
they're really just partners, like spies, like they yeah. like work together, like they work together to complete contracts, right? Like to go on missions to kill people. Or yeah, that makes whatever. sense. Yep. Um, and they only so they can rely on each other, or whatever. But like, it's kind of like if Poker Face had a better overarching like narrative. Uh, like you know that show Poker Face that yeah, were like just, I, I, like I liked it a lot. It was like mystery of the yeah. week though. Like that's kind of like this is not like mystery of the week. It's like what is our adventure of the okay the week? Like what is our job? Like basically they get a new job every week. Like this you have to you know kill this person or or do this or do that. Uh, like overhear this conversation, intercept this package. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just like a different mission every week. And it gives the show like an opportunity to bring in these like cool guest stars for each different episode. But there's at the same time, it's these two people getting to know each other, and so it, it's kind of like um like a romance like happening at the same time. So like, and that's like the story that like, runs through it. Although like that quickly becomes, if anything, the show like moves through time too fast because like before you know it like you're a few episodes in and like they're like they've been a couple for a while now oh now they're like a bickering couple trying to do missions together but i found the show like very entertaining it's one that i would like recommend to anybody like it's like it's such a safe recommend like i'm just like yeah you see mr mrs smith you'll you'll like it because like it's just entertaining. It's like broad. It has like broad appeal. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I think it was. I can't remember if it was eight or ten episodes. Eight, eight, eight episodes. Eight episodes. It wraps up in an interesting way where it's like you could continue the series or you could not. Like, there's two different ways to read the ending. Um. But if it got renewed, I, I would definitely be back for more. I think I think it's a very, just a very fun show. It's one that like, like, like for you, for instance, like I still really want to get you to watch uh, for all mankind. Like that's the show I'm gonna push on you forever. <laughs> but this is one that like I just know like you would like have a blast watching it. You know what I mean? Um, and it's shorter. <laughs> it is, it is definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely shorter. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so it's a like strong recommend from me on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I think that's on Amazon. Yep. On okay. Prime. I guess we should talk about <laughs> True Detective Night Country. Yeah. Uh, there's some interesting discourse around that show. Um, I am the worst judge of True Detective because I like all of them. Like, I liked season one. I still think season one is the best. I liked season three. I even liked season two, even though everyone, like, thought that was terrible. I still, like, found a lot to enjoy in it. Mm hmm And this season, Night Country... It's a new showrunner. It's Issa Lopez who did that uh, movie Tigers Are Not Afraid that I, that I really loved. Yep. Horror movie from a few years back. Now she, she's been given the reins of the show and I guess you know they renewed it for another season with her running it. And um, <laughs> 
as let's just say, like the the reaction to it has been pretty intense all around. Uh, the what the showrunner, um, uh, Nick Pizzolatto, who created and created the show and wrote the first three seasons entirely. I want to say, yeah, there there was his like it was his yeah. show. He did everything on it. It's very rare though that like a creator writes every episode and he did and again i liked everything that he did with it <clears throat> and now you have someone else running it and he was uh not happy about it to say the least and there was a lot of people it was really weird because the show got like really great reviews and then people got to actually watch it besides who weren't like critics got to see the whole you know the whole season yeah it got great reviews and then like as it's coming out there was pretty vocal, uh, I don't know, minority or, or or majority, but a lot of people like thought it was fucking dog shit. And I was kind of in that camp for a long time because I thought this thing was pretty, like, it has a really strong setting. It's kind of that setting, you know, like from 30 Days of Night where, you know, they're like up in Alaska and it starts like the night season where it's like going to be 30 days of fucking night and, and they're trying to solve this crazy fucking you don't even know if it's a murder or what it is at first it's like the, these bunch of scientists get found like frozen together they're like a corpsicle and yeah, it's like well, how the fuck did this happen the cool image that i guess they've been pushing out there which is it, it's a it's an awesomely gruesome image to have out it there. Is- it feels more like in the horror genre than True Detective has ever been, mm-hmm. and it feels more supernatural. Like what I loved about True Detective, like season one, is like there was there were hints that there was something way bigger and cosmic and some sort of horror going on. But at the end of the day, it was like, no, this is like the the real world, and it's just like a killer. But this is like just from the get go is like way more like how the fuck you know this this has to be supernatural, right? And like, uh, that like that stuff kind of rubbed me wrong. But it also had like a, it has like a really like the setting. I love that setting. It has Jodie Foster going for it. Um, the new her like partner Callie Reese, I think her name is. She's like a professional boxer before this. Mm-hmm. She's pretty good on it. There's only a lot like there's a lot to really love about the show, but it is really really boring in my opinion for like the first three episodes to the point where like after episode three, I didn't even bother to watch the new episode when it came out. I let like the next couple weeks go, and then as the finale was coming up, I'm like, I better catch up. I watched, you know, the last two, and then I watched the finale as it aired, and I ended up, like, really liking it, and, like, liking where it went, and, um, like, at the end of the day, I was satisfied. Are there, like, (laughs) a million things that it forgets to, like, like, things that they brought up as important and do not explain, like, how the fuck, like, okay, what happened to that? I thought that was, like, supposed to be something, right? Like... It's not perfect. It has flaws, but just for me personally, I ended up being really like at the end of the day, I liked it as I end up liking every season of the show. Um, but yeah, it's just an uncomfortable 
position to be in, uh, at least it was for me during the first half of the season as someone that didn't like it, being grouped in with the people who don't like it because, like, oh, this is woke, and, you know, there's a there's women detectives, this is fucking bullshit now. Or it has a message, you know what I mean? Like, I, I hate it when I don't like something, but then there's, like, this horribly toxic group of people yeah. that I have to be grouped in with like, because I, of that. I want to like it because I don't want to be with these people. <laughs> exactly, but it's like, some of them have a point. Like, you know, a lot of people, like, that didn't like it it wasn't because of that like there there's there were critics that did not like it and it, you know had nothing to do with that uh it was very funny someone i follow on um on twitter they tweeted uh just finished true detective night country can we set up some kind of warren commission to explain those reviews <laughs> and you know he sent that out and probably what's better or whatever and he got retweeted by ben shapiro and he's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, oh, yeah, because it kind of, of, of sucks the, the conversation around it. The, yeah, those people like believe that if you don't like it, it's because of the exact same reasons they don't like it. And it's like, no man, I have no problem with women detective. It's just badly written. Like, yeah, and yeah. that's that's what a lot of people thought it was badly written. Like, and I can't say like I want to like defend the show. I want to say why I liked it. But it's way too spoilery, so like we'll have that discussion after after you see it. Like, okay. there's there's a there's a reason why I dug it in the end, but um, yeah, I, I can't say any more than I've already said. It, sure. it, it's a cool setting, cool cast. It's a shorter season. It has flaws. I'm sure you you might find flaws in it too, but I think you'll probably end up digging it too. Like I don't know. I I, I really don't know because like people are so split on that on that new season. Basically, if you give me a good enough mystery, and like it can pull me along, I'm probably in. Like, man, I I'll be. I'm interested to see what you'll say about it. I, I've, I'm actually. I watched some like nonsense procedurals, so like I'm probably fine with it. it. Has a cool setting. The murder seems interesting. We'll see. I mean, I may be bored yeah. out of my mind like you were in the first three episodes and. To me, the murder was not interesting at first, because I was just like... And it just wasn't going anywhere, and then we were trying to do all these, like, ties, and it does do it throughout the entire season, like, ties to season one. Uh, she was either a, a, a big fan of season one, I think she was, but uh, also, you know, it's kind of like giving fan service, and fans, <laughs> the fans hated it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that... that I heard a lot of that. Like, I don't know what the ties are, but I did did hear. Yeah, that I don't want to spoil. Oh, there's there's all these ties to season one, and it's like, but if they're not like natural feeling, then they'd probably just feel forced, and it just lends credence to the crazy people. Yeah, it's like I don't know. I, I think like Nick Pizzolatto, he has every right to be fucking pissed off that a show got taken from him, and they're doing something that he thinks is garbage, and I think he genuinely thinks it's like part of it as i'm sure he's bitter but i i think he genuinely does not like what they did with it you know and that's that's fine and like people are like like the take sides twitter always turns everything into this like taking sides shit it's like dude y'all think it's funny when john carpenter or uh fucking paul schrader like fucking trashes somebody but as soon as he does it because it's a woman creator it's like 
I don't know, dude. Maybe he just genuinely thinks it sucks. Is that okay? Like, and, like it's okay when everyone else does it, but you know, and it's okay and he already for, has a reputation as an asshole. Yeah, it's a, it's also okay for a creator to be bitter that like somebody is something that you made. Yeah, like he he <laughs> individually created it. It was his thing, and that H like because of the way he signed it, and like I, this is a bigger issue for creators, you know, in in the industry anyway. And when you sign on with these these uh, studios, they own your shit, right? Like it's theirs. Then they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Like if uh, they want to make a, a Back to the Future four, they can do that. Like they don't have to to talk to Steven Spielberg and and Robert Zemeckis. They can just do yeah. it, and it can be shit. And that may leave some people bitter that created the original. And like, I could see where he'd be like, this isn't, this is not what I wanted. You could have called me back guys. Like I would have done something for you. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he's upset about it. I, I think, you know, the classy move is to not say anything, but absolutely. I, as me, as me, as someone that just like watches shit like this happen, like, I just think it's, I think it's funny when, like, when directors or creators get mad about something, because, like, I don't know, like, again, everyone, when John Carpenter does it, everyone thinks it's fucking hilarious, but when Nick Pizzolatto does it, it's like, oh, he's fucking, he's part of an incel brigade, and I'm like, I don't think that's what it is, but that's the problem, you get, like, all of a sudden you're, like, co-opted into this movement of people. <laughs> ben Shapiro's <laughs> retweeting you, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but anyways, I, again, I, at the end of the day, I liked all the True Detectives. I liked this one as well. I actually am really curious, uh, what you thought of season, or what you're going to think of season three. Uh, I dug it. I kind of want to watch it again now that you're watching it. I'm like, I want to refresh my, like, memory, because I don't remember anything about it, except I remember, like, you kind of refresh my memory about the three timelines, and then I remember, like, one thing about how it ends, and I wonder how you'll take the ending, but yeah. Anyways, uh, that's all I've been watching. I'm gonna I'm gonna poke through those. So yeah, cool. Um, I guess we should get to our feature films then. Yeah, we got two like uh, I say somewhat challenging ones to tackle. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, more than N- normal <laughs> challenging <laughs> stuff usually. Yeah. Uh, let's start off. Let's go in chronological order here. We're gonna start with, off with a face in the crowd. Uh, this was uh, written by Bud Schulberg, directed by Elia Kazan, and released May twenty eighth, nineteen fifty seven. Oh, lonesome road. Look out for him. He's mean. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Griffith, another sensational newcomer from Ilya Kazan, who brought you Marlon Brando and James Dean and Carol Baker. by millions, an idol of the people. Bye! Bye, Lucy! 
So long, Luther. You're right to me now. I'll be thinking of you, good people. Boy, am I glad to shake that dump. Try to play the noble defender of the sanctity of marriage with me, Papa Man. No way you've been some of those nights when Betty was waiting up for you. You know, you hit me and it'll be all over the papers as much as the people love you tonight. You're can fired. You. I'm not just an entertainer. I'm an influence, a wielder of opinion, a force. A force. Oh, if they ever heard the way that psycho really talks. <laughs> stupid that I am. <laughs> so I gotta think for them. One of the greatest characterizations ever put on the screen in the whole history of motion pictures. Maybe I'm just a country boy. <laughs> but if the president tries to stop me, I'll flood the White House with millions of telegrams. <laughs> Uh, it is actually the first, it's like the debut role of Andy Griffith, which is interesting because um, you would say he's playing against the type here, but he didn't have a type yet. So it was weird yeah. that like he did this role and people were like, you know what we should do is make a wholesome show about it. Um, the movie, I was able to find out it's box office, which was, uh, or no, I'm sorry, not it's box office. I was able to find that it's budget, which was 1.6 million, which was pretty big for, for 1957. Yeah. Uh, box office, I don't have the numbers other than it was, it was a failure, uh, when it was released. It was not like a big movie. It was ignored by the Academy when it came out. It has gone on to become a classic. Although not like one that is immediately known, because like, yeah, it's just not as widely known as maybe like the other movie we're gonna talk about. Which the other movie we're gonna talk about, if you've never seen Network, you still know that line. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take it anymore, or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, um. Anyways, uh, and like, help me along here, because I watched this like two weeks ago. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I was like kind of excited to see both these movies, so I didn't wait to the last minute like I normally would, so they'd be like super fresh in my head. Yeah, I just saw them. So. Uh, but Patricia Neal uh, plays Marsha Jeffries, and she's like this radio reporter who does a show called A Face in the Crowd. And it's, you know, the idea is like talking to normal people and telling their stories. It's kind of like This American Life or something like that. Yeah. And she goes to like a drunk tank and just it does seem like a wild like location it seems crazy that you would go to the jail <laughs> to like do that. Yeah, hey if you're looking for an interesting story you, you might find one there you know um and you know there's a bunch of people that are sleeping off hangovers including our main character lonesome Rhodes, played by andy griffith um Although, his name is not Lonesome Rhodes. I, I don't remember what they said. They do say his real name. Do you Larry. Know? It's Larry. Larry. Yeah. Which I don't think he calls himself Larry. Like, when when she, uh, Marsha, puts the microphone in his face, she's, like, going around trying to get everyone to talk. And she's like, and, and what's your name? And he's like, you know, 
call me whatever. Like, um, yeah, call he, me whatever you want. Yeah, he's like, I'm Rhodes, and like, call, call me. And it's like, well, you have a first name, call me whatever you want. And that's where that's where he gets the name Lonesome. Like, she just comes up with it off the top of her head. I think that's an, an important thing, though, because she gives him the name Lonesome Rhodes, and he is an invention of the media. You know, he, he, she, he made him. You know what I mean? Yes. It backfires on her. On at, at, <laughs> at, at every stage of his career, she's the one building him up. Like he is just a fabrication that that she ha- she's the she's the backbone behind it. She's the creator. And when you think of the you know of the parallels to today, like you could look at it. I mean, I don't have to beat around the bush here. Like, you know, there's a parallel with Trump here, right? Yeah. Um, pa- parallel with, you, with, with I, the one I took was Tucker Carlson. Really? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, not that he is like. I mean, neither him nor Trump are nobodies. Like, they didn't come from nothing. But like, the the rise and fall here of like Tucker basically, like the where this ends up is that the, he loses all. Like, Lonesome Rones loses his power. Not completely. Like, he'll be on TV at some point after that but like that's tucker's gone from his big like from fox news he's gone from there now he's doing fucking interviews on twitter and from his basement like yeah and that's happened with a lot of figures you know like uh bill o'reilly whatever um but you know who i thought of maybe even more than well i i think i thought of trump through a lot of this because you just there's things that are said throughout the movie that you're just like oh my god this is like so spot on but i also kind of thought of sarah palin you know they're yeah. just kind of like country bumpkin because like trump is not a, is not a country bumpkin type per- personality he's good at playing to that crowd but he's like this rich new york businessman right like it yeah, doesn't like the metaphor doesn't 100 percent work yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Palin, anyways, Palin is that country person, though. It's like, oh, like they came from nothing. They came from the middle of Alaska or Arkansas, and yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you're a vice presidential candidate. And I guess we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves, but like, you kind of get the sense of where it's going. This guy in a drunk take, they they wake him up, and he ends up being the most interesting one that she talks to there because he could sing. He does a little song for them called like "Free Man in the Morning." I think that's what it's called. Something like that. Freedom in the morning, something like that. Uh, it's actually a pretty good song, I think. And I think uh, 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 Andy Griffith is like one uh, really good in this role, but also a pretty good singer. Pretty good. If that's him singing and performing, yes. I, he's, he's pretty good. Um but anyways, this guy, this lonesome Rhodes guy, uh, he he's got a certain talent. He's got uh, like a certain charisma, and instantly becomes like a big star. Uh, you know, they show like people like listening to him talking on the radio because like, they give him like a radio show after this. But people want people want more. You know, lonesome road, lonesome roads. Um, yeah, so he starts out as a radio DJ. Yeah, he gets on the radio, but he'll be being like, 
talking to the to, you know the wives out there. They don't know what it's like. You know the husbands don't know what it's like to be cleaning clean the inside of the stove or whatever the fuck he like this homespun fucking nonsense is. And you, they show like a lady she's like cleaning her stove. Listen to him. She's like, yeah, you know, like he instantly becomes like a huge star. The people love him, um, and he immediately uses that power to attack his enemies. <laughs> Like, I think it's, like, very early on in the movie, he, like, as soon as he becomes famous, he, like, goes after this mayoral candidate, right? Yeah, it's, it's the sheriff. Or the sheriff. Oh, it was the, is the sheriff running for re-election? Sh- is that what it sh- is? Sheriff's running for mayor. He's going to be the next mayor. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, and he's, like, you know, I don't think this guy could even be a dog catcher. You guys yeah. bring your dogs over to him. You know, like... <laughs> He immediately like starts using his power like that uh, to attack his enemies. Did you get him? Like that's another thing. I'm like, Let the Trump does the same thing. He uses the media to fucking get people riled up and go after his enemies. Um, I think it was when he does this that he's in the car with Marsha, and he's like watching all these people bring their dogs to this guy's house, and. I think she like notes like she's like you really have like sway with people like they'll do anything you say and, and he does he has this big booming laugh that I, yeah I kind of love he does that he says yeah I guess I can and then he like it becomes an evil laugh and then like it, it's like a pretty chilling moment because then it hits him and he's like I guess I can you know what I mean like he's like oh shit he like. I have, I have real power. Yeah, like he like he realizes, like he he's a guy that knows he's charming and stuff, but he's like, oh, I could use that to like influence the masses. And I think he even says at one point that he's an influencer, which is like, yes, that'll send a chill down your spine. <laughs> Fucking sixty years early. Yeah, um, but yeah, like another instance of something that he does is he he sends a bunch. of kids to his old boss's pool. He's like, oh, but Mr. So-and-so, you know, he'd love to have all the neighborhood kids come play in his pool, you know. Like, um, but behind the scenes, he is not, like, you know, he projects a persona and but behind the scenes, he's, he's I think ass. you called you call him a narcissist. Very much so, yeah. I mean, out, outwardly, on the surface, he is a demagogue and, and um, it kind of shows how you know the medium, the media, the you know television can like really give rise to a demagogue is and what that could do. But behind the scenes, he's he's even worse because he, like as a person, he's like awful. Like, yeah. like really. I mean, you, you get a glimpse of it. Really awful. You get a glimpse of it with that the dog catcher piece, but then. As they're leaving to go to Memphis, which is like the next big step in his career, he's leaving the radio yeah. station. He's going to go do TV now, and he's getting on the train. And he's not even like away from the people. He's just stepped one on the train. It's like can't wait to get away from this like shithole or something. He doesn't say shithole, but it's like yeah, it's something all, yeah. to that degree. And like Marsha's like, yo, like these people love you. What are you doing? And then he he recognizes that like she's not with him on that, and he kind of oh uh, you know I'm just kidding I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, 
Yeah, but he comes bigger and bigger. Like, yeah, you said he goes where to get, uh, like his big to, TV show. They go to Memphis, uh, Tennessee, where he's like he's on like a their, their local TV station there. Yeah, and then that's when he starts having like you know they have like their TV back then would have like one big sponsor that would you know sponsor a program. And <laughs> the other thing that reminded me of Trump is like he's horrible when he has to be on script. Yes. He, he can't do the ad reads. He kind of just has to ad lib and do his own thing. Uh, and he does that. He does a show like kind of mocking this mattress company that is advertising. And he even jokes. He's like, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be a free man in the morning. But ultimately, and this is something that kind of like uh, happens in network as well. Is like you think he's fucked and like the advertisers are going to pull everything, but it's like the ratings are up and the advertiser gets like a 55% boost in sales on their mattresses. So it's like, whatever, whatever this guy wants to do, who gives a shit? He starts to, he gets a new sponsor. The There's, there's like so many things in this movie that like, I think are like way ahead of its time. The Vitajex. It's basically like a Viagra. I, or yes. I, I think it's, oh. <laughs> it's basically like a bullshit vitamin. Yes. It's basically what it is. It's some he, sort of like vitamin. But he sells it like it's fucking Viagra. He sells it like it's Viagra, yeah. Um, and he does like this. He, I remember when he did like the pitch for this, he like comes into the room. He's like, this is what you're new. It's going to give you, it gives you popular stuff or whatever. You know, basically, it gives you rouse. And he starts, like, chasing this girl around the office to do his pitch. Like, it's just, it's so insane. Um, but there is a relationship that develops between him and Marsha, the actual journalist that made him. And this is where I think he reveals, like, his worst traits. Uh, like, I don't know about you, like, for all, like, the crazy stuff he does, you know, to the masses, it's, like, behind the scenes, what he does to this lady is just, like, unreal, man, like... She falls in love with him, and, like, he, at every turn, fucks her over. He's a classic, like, womanizer, and which is, like, probably typical of the time, but, boy, does he do, like... Well, first, he, uh, he has, like, a wife that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> so he was already married. <laughs> and she wants money. I think she asked for, like, $3,000 a month. Yeah. To, like, just stay, like... And she says away. this to Marsha. Yeah, she says this, she says this to Marsha, right? Like yep. She, like, shows up at Marsha's apartment, like, Hey, I'm his actual wife. I don't really care. You could have him, but... I, I just tell him I want three thousand dollars a month to stay quiet about it, um, and or else I like I'll say I'll say something about it and I won't get a divorce. <laughs> Which this is already bad enough. But then he like convinces um, he convinces Marsha that oh no I, I'm I'm gonna divorce her. In fact, I'm gonna go down to like Mexico to get this divorce. It's like easier to get done or whatever. Uh, and then meanwhile he goes to like some. Baton twirling competition he, or whatever. He goes back to the town where he was the radio host. So back back home, basically to Arkansas, and yeah, he goes to like he is special judge of like the Little Miss Arkansas baton twirling championship. It's like looking at this like little blonde seventeen year old girl. Like she's like clearly admires him or whatever. 
And he's just looking at her like he's a shark. He's like... <laughs> but he kind of like blindsides even like the audience, like us, the viewers of the film, because <laughs> Marcia goes to like meet him on the tarmac somewhere. He's like getting off this plane and he supposedly had just gone to Mexico to get divorced from his first wife and then, you know, so he and Marcia can be together. And he gets off with his new wife, which is the 17-year-old girl that he saw at the baton twirling competition. And if you weren't already against this guy at this point, I think uh, you are now. Yes, Um, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I was just like... I was against him from the beginning because I saw all the parallels to someone like someone like Trump or yeah. Palin, you know. But then it's just like once he does that, you're like, dude, oh my god, this poor fucking woman. Um, and I forgot where I wanted to go. Oh yeah, so then he, there is is the suggestion that he would start to have like real influence in politics in this. And basically, that is, he's like helping this like stuffy old senator with his presidential run, and he he's kind of like giving him tips about how to to appear uh, in the media, like you know how to, how to present himself, right? Yeah, that's such a fascinating uh, that that whole interaction is great because one, he comes in just like stops, he threatens to walk out, and he brings this like other country bumpkin buddy in with him that is. He calls him to his face an idiot. Um, yeah, it's like he's basically his employee, right? Uh, yeah, he's like my buddy here. He's a moron. Yeah, and if you can't I get keep him, him around, if you can't get him to vote for you, like how are you going to get anybody else to vote for you? You need people like him. They're the ones voting. You need to get the idiots. And so it's like he has such a firm grasp on how to manipulate people and get them to eat out of his hand. That like it, it was just fascinating. And there is kind of the suggestion that like the politics that he like the politicians that you were supporting were like right wing, you know. I forgot what it was. Like uh, they're trying to like sell people on being against social security. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, so yeah, this is like nailing everything. Um, yeah, there's a part where I think he's in. Bet I want to say I forgot who he was talking to, but he gives this whole speech about how like this whole country is my flock of sheep, like you know they're mine, I own them. They think like I do, only they're more stupid than I am, so I gotta think for them. Oh, I, think, I mean, I think that this this might be after this this might be after uh, he finds out his wife's cheating on him, the the seventeen year old. Um, yeah, with with his like agent, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he ends up going back to Marsha. <laughs> he runs back to her, and that it, that is such a chilling scene too because he bangs on her door, demands she opens up, and then like he just walks in, like, "All right, I'm back with you now." Yeah, yeah. Like it's it like, didn't work out, so I'm back. <laughs> go get go get me a drink. Is like he even says that in there. Like go get me a drink, and like she's and this whole time he's just talking about like how he has all this power and all this influence and how he's the one that's actually in charge of everything. Um, nightmarish, actually. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, I, I and uh, she fucking is not having. It. I think she runs out on him, right? Yeah, like Marcia does. Yeah, yeah, and, and it builds to an ending here where he's doing a show, 
you know, he's doing his TV show, and after it ends, he's like talking shit about how stupid, you know, his the, the, the audience is basically. And Marsha's there in the room, and she like flips the switch so that he's back on the air, and so all his fans could see the real Lonesome Roads, like what he really is, and, and they kind of destroys him. And this is what's—I mean, it, this is what should destroy him, right? This is exactly how it should go, except for somebody like Trump. We've heard him talk about normal people. We've heard him, like he said it to their face, like yeah. he said it. Right to them. I and, love stupid people. Like, and they just don't get it. <laughs> well, that's where I think the movie is like almost not cynical enough because it's impossible to break people out of the cult mentality. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he says. It's right, no matter what. If he's making fun of you, it's right. It's, that's like that's where I'm like the movie is maybe slightly less cynical. <laughs> than the actual world. <laughs> yeah, then like like it assumed in reality if someone like this was exposed that people would be like, "Oh, holy shit, like I've been I've been fooled. Like this guy is not who he presents himself as." But it's like not the way at least in the case of like cults or Donald Trump, that's not the way it seems to work. Right. Um although there is like this is a fairly cynical film because, like, Walter Matthau at the end, who's like this guy who's been pining after Marshall the whole time, kind of fucking tell. Like, the movie ends with him kind of telling uh, Lonesome Rhodes off in a scene where, like, they go to Lonesome Rhodes' like mansion and he's in there, like, acting like he's giving this. He's supposed to give this big speech, but everyone left him. You know, you know, he's he's fucked over at this point so he has his his assistant the guy you were just talking about like playing his soundboard people applaud like applauding and cheering him on as he's like giving the speech to nobody but walter Matthau like basically tells him like you'll still be you'll still have a career he's like you just won't ever be as like big as you were like you were just saying about like tucker carlson he's like you'll you'll be fine and then like they you know, uh, Walter Matthau and Marsha, like, drive off in a taxi, and they hear him screaming her name or whatever. I think, I think Walter Matthau says, don't worry, I don't think he's the suicidal yeah. type. And that's just, that's it. That's the end of the movie. It ends with them, them riding off. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts first on this movie. Um, one, I, I was, actually very very happily surprised that like it's super engaging it's super entertaining mm -hmm. um and i think that does come down to you know andy griffith patricia neal walter Matthau, all giving great performances um their their characters are excellent and and the way they're portrayed especially uh you know Rhodes and and marcia um they're just super engaging. They're they're fun to be around, but also like you know, Rhodes is nightmarish. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I really I came out I was like this is really neat. Like you know, it's a movie that is what sixty sixty five years old, sixty six years old at this point. Like 
and for it to to be engaging in that way and and still kind yeah. of like resonate through through to today it's very impressive yeah um agreed uh i i kind of in the kind of what you just said like i don't mind an older movie but this is an older movie this, this is from the 50s and it moves like it like it's instantly engaging and it moves and it it feels more adult and risque than a lot of movies from the 50s would yeah like the like, subject matter is pretty risky like risque for, and, for you know what i mean like and like there's nothing like untoward that like you would you would not expect from a 1950s movie but like there are points where like Rhodes is pretty like yeah, he's a fucking man whore like and I think that the first time Marsha goes to get him at his hotel like he's like whoa do you like you never sat on a hotel bed with a man before just <laughs> like yeah it, it down like come over here and fuck me <laughs> like it's it's yeah it's not like they're not showing nudity and she's not talking about her pussy or something, but it, it is, uh, it is, it's adult. Mo- like. Yes. It's, it's adult and modern in a way that I, I was kind of surprised by for a movie from 1957. Yeah. And again, I was like, totally like you engaged in the story and every scene felt purposeful. Like, it felt like every scene was like, this is to show this, this is to show this. And in nearly every one, I could draw some sort of parallel to today. And I'm just like, geez, man, none of this stuff is new. <laughs> like, this shit, I guess, has been around forever. But it's, like, interesting to see that even then they, like, realized what the, how TV could amplify this stuff. Um... Sad that yeah, I, I, 65 years later, we still have not learned that lesson. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I really enjoyed this movie. I don't know about you. What's your What's your score? I did too. I'm going in 8 out of 10 here. I'm going in 8.5. I, I, yeah, it, this is like, it's a classic, and yet at the same time, I feel like not enough people know about it. So if you've not seen a face in the crowd, check it out. Yep. Um... Our next film, you've probably heard of. I think most people have heard of Network from 1976, but I don't know. I had not seen it prior to this, and you had not, right? So, no. um, maybe a little bit underseen by today, um, even though everyone is like familiar with it, like you know what it is. Um, it came out November 27th, 1976. And now, the distinguished television news commentator, Mr. Howard Beale. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like at this moment to announce that I will be retiring from this program in two weeks' time because of poor ratings. Since this show was the only thing I had going for me in my life, I have decided to kill myself. I'm going to blow my brains out right on this program a week from today. What the hell's going on here? Prepare yourself for a perfectly outrageous motion picture. Howard Beale went up there last night and said what every American feels, that he's tired of all the bull... sakes, Diana, we're talking about putting a manifestly irresponsible man on national television. I am not putting Howard back on the air. It's not your show anymore, Max. It's mine. I got a feeling I'm being made. You are. 
got to warn you, I, I don't do anything on my first date. We'll see. I want a show developed based on the activities of a terrorist group. Well, Ahmed, I want to make a TV star out of you. Just like Archie Bunker. For the number one show in television! There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and DuPont and Exxon. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? Why me? It was your own television, dummy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Network News Hour with Howard Beale. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How many first, stations does this go out You've got to get mad. You've got to say... I want you to get up right now. Go to your windows, stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Are they yelling in Atlanta, Herb? Are they yelling in Atlanta, Ted? Network by Patty Chayefsky, directed by Sidney Lumet, produced by Howard Gottfried. Television will never be the same. Is uh written by Patty Chayefsky and directed by Sidney Lumet. Had a budget of three point eight million, box office of twenty three point seven million. It was instantly recognized, unlike a face in the crowd, which which came out and and uh I guess, you know, kind of fell flat at first, or it was a flop at first. This was, like, a big deal. And it did uh, go on to win some Oscars. In fact, I was reading the the Wikipedia earlier today, and I guess three out of the four leads won an Oscar. Like, they basically, it took three out of the four acting categories. Oh, wow. Which has, has not been done since until last year for everything everywhere all at once so that, that's that's pretty interesting <clears throat> and this is a wild movie i think <laughs> uh more so than a face in the crowd like there's it starts off normal enough sort of even though it's like outrageous but it gets like it, i hate to draw this comparison because like the movie's kind of zany to begin with uh, but sorry to bother you. It kind of starts off with one premise, and like it really goes crazy places. I feel like this one also really goes uh, like I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when like Ned Beatty shows up, I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? Uh, anyways, this is this tells the story. <laughs> Of this anchor who's been around and his ratings are down. Howard Beale, right? Yes. Played by um, Peter Finch. Oh boy, Peter, Peter Finch, who sadly, I guess, died before this movie even won its awards, which is crazy. So he must have died right after making 
this. Um, but he's a longtime anchor, and and we're told this in like voiceover narration that I don't know they ever explain who the hell is telling us this. I usually like when you have like. I took it as uh, what was his name, uh, his buddy, the the the, the news head. Max, I think his name. Yeah, was. I thought that's who it was, but I could be wrong on that. I need to pull up the uh, the full cast for this because I, I don't want to. I don't want to like forget any of the characters' names or the actors who played them because there are a lot of what I really, really, really loved about this movie. Yeah, his his buddy Max, his longtime um, kind of coworker, right? Who yep. who's played by William Holden. He's in charge of the news. He's like division. in charge of the news division. And they're they're really close. They go out and get drunk together. I think one of the first scenes in the movie is them getting drunk. Um, but we are explained at the beginning, I guess by Max. Maybe you're right by Max that you know ratings are down on this guy. He's been around forever, and he's got two weeks left on the air. He's getting canceled. He's getting replaced. And uh, they all go out and get you know drink drinking together and he tells like Howard Beale tells his buddy Max that he's like I'm gonna kill myself I'm gonna blow my brains out like this is it for me and then he goes and says it on the air he, he said he's getting you know he says he's getting fired in two weeks because of the ratings and he's like you know what next Tuesday I'm gonna blow my brains out on the air um the the you know, the network does not respond well to this. <laughs> <laughs> they immediately fire him. Uh, and he somehow convinces them that, like, that he should be able to go on, like, smooth it over or make it right, right? Like, he's just like, uh, let me, let me, like, go back on. Let me say goodbye to my audience. Uh, and and let me, like, pass the torch to the new guy. Yeah. <laughs> Say okay, don't, no booze. <laughs> don't get drunk. Uh, and he goes on and like, and, and you know, goes off script again and 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 starts saying like, that's the other thing, fun thing about this movie is it's not just the the one speech he gives about I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take anymore. Like pretty much any time he gets on there, it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> he just starts saying how how the whole world is bullshit. God is bullshit, you know, stuff you would not say on TV, especially back then. Uh, meanwhile, we have Faye Dunaway as this young, like, kind of ruthless reporter. Well, she's not a reporter, right? She's, like, in charge of, like, their entertainment Yeah, she's, she's, on, she's on the other, she's not on the news section, but she's basically head, head of programming um, for the network. The scripted, she's she yes. does like scripted stuff, um, but you could tell she's just ruthless. All she cares about is ratings, and she she sees like she understands how the world works maybe more than, than Howard Beale and Mac. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like she, she's like trying to do a series. Like she has footage of a bank robbery. Like that was filmed by the people that were robbing the place, and she wants them to turn that into a TV show, like a series that like has some crazy footage shot by criminals every week. 
and then we interview them, or I don't know what, I, I, I really, like, I'm like, what is she going for here with, and, like, at some point, she does, like, they, they do have to go into logistics of, like, how are you, like, you're basically employing terrorists, like, what are you yes. talking about, like, <laughs> um, then you have Robert Duvall as kind of the guy running the network, right, like, he's, like, right below he's Jensen, right. Yeah, he's 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 below the guy that is like, I guess trying. Who is actually the president of the network? But he's he's like the up and comer trying to to move into that spot. But he's the one that makes the shit. Like back in the day, it, like and they say this in the movie, like news divisions of networks were run at a loss of profit because it was viewed as doing something for the greater good. Yes. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, the news was important, so it doesn't matter if it's profitable. Like, we're, we make our profits elsewhere, it's fine. He's like, no, we gotta squeeze the juice out of everything here. We somehow gotta, like, make the news profitable. Well, lucky him, because this... This fired anchor... His, like, crazy rants about how he's going to kill himself and the world is bullshit is hugely popular and the ratings go up. And uh, they bring him back. They bring. They actually tried to fire his his buddy Max, too, because he let, he let him do the God is bull, bullshit, you know, speech. You know, this dude's, like, front page news everywhere and, and like, we got a star out of him. And... I think Faye Dunaway realizes that we have to build a show just around Howard Beale. Yes. <laughs> I think Robert Duvall says, we're talk talking about putting a manifestly irresponsible man on national television. It, which is was a line that, uh, you know, again, is one that made me think about what the, the news networks did in modern times today. Oh, absolutely! Um, like I, I feel, yeah. and, and we'll probably get to this as we wrap this up. But I feel that this film is like, uh, you know, the Warner and Fox and all of them, uh, Paramount. They all took all the wrong lessons from this film, and we're like, yeah, yeah. we we can make money off of the news. Going to do it all the time. We're going to make news a personality-driven thing. It doesn't really matter if it's news or not, as long as we're bringing advertising dollars. This was the birth of news as entertainment. Yeah, you know, and it is wild where it goes with this because, like, it starts off with like him doing a news, like basically him doing a news with his little editorial where he gets to rant. And it quickly starts to like resemble like televangelists, where like all of a sudden now he's got a live studio audience who is like cheering him on at everything he says, and he's not sitting behind the desk; he's standing there and sermonizing to them. Yeah, they even have like this. It's almost like a stained glass type thing behind yeah. him. Like he's, I think he calls himself the the Mad Prophet or something to that. Effect. Yeah, and they. Kind of add this whole circus around him too. There's like a soothsayer, <laughs> like it's again starts to starts to resemble a circus. Um, I didn't, meanwhile, I didn't want to like pass up 
Because that's kind of like the main plot here is that. But there's like, I, I think I actually found his friend Max's story kind of interesting. And I feel like him and Faye Dunaway got some of the best scenes in the movie because they start having an affair together. He's a much older man than the young Faye Dunaway here. And he starts yeah, so cheating on his wife. So I, I looked into that. <laughs> Cause, okay. Like they've they've always like I mean Hollywood's always done this right, but they try to paint fucking William Holden out to be like I, in fact Diana the Faye Dunaway's character calls him like a middle aged man. I'm like he doesn't look middle aged. Like he looks he looks old. like forty. He looks like. 40 years older yeah, than her, he's like, easily. He's, you know, he's she's like, like a 30-year-old woman. Yeah, I think she was I think she was actually like 35, and I think he was 66 or something like that. So, like, fucking nutso. <laughs> and gross. <laughs> Absolutely gross. It is also... It was funny to me, too, because, like, William Holden and Max, like, he's, like, the guy who's, like, the moral center of this movie. Yeah. But he's also a guy who, like, cheats on his wife and like but i, I it, it's just funny like he goes around like he does everything that's ha- it's so weird like the scenes with him and his like he tells his wife he's like yeah i can't stop like i'm in love with her even though like he's like she is i don't think she's like a person that's capable of emotions like all she cares about is ratings and he's like expecting his wife to give a shit about any of this. it's like really I don't know I, I thought like there's the, I, I guess there's irony in the fact that like he's the moral center even though like what he's doing is completely immoral and, and selfish but he's often like the, the, the adult in the room and I, I really love like there's a scene between him and Faye Dunaway where like they're kind of breaking up and I just love it's like a really long like dialogue driven scene between them uh, where he's just kind of like pointing out her flaws and, and, and like he is fully acknowledged that like he fully acknowledges and understands his own flaws and I just found kind of that adult relationship stuff in the middle of this like crazy satire like really good too yeah I don't know like, I don't know how, how did like that like well the whole cheating plot line land on you like I was into it like I was into those scenes yeah, I, I mean, well, one, it starts off with her, like, the, the whole affair starts off with her showing up to to his office trying to pitch, um, you know, the show that they eventually do with Howard Beale, the, the Howard Beale Hour or whatever it's called. And she's basically like, hey, I will fuck you to get a piece of this show. Uh, she's basically throwing herself at him, like, oh, I... I idolized you as, as a young journalism student and would love to get to know you better and all of that. And then he basically turns her down and there's this, this neat scene where uh, they're in uh, Duvall's office and they, they fire Max. Um, and, uh, you know, he goes, is there something going on between the two of you? And she's like, not like, anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> He's not useful to me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And then she attends a funeral for like uh, somebody that was at the station, I guess, somebody with the network. I think it was the president, actually, the, the, the network president. I think he dies and uh, he he sees her there and that's where they, they kind of rekindle that. 
and yeah, like that stuff's super fascinating because you actually see him going to his wife and explaining all of that, as you said, and then you get the whole scene where like she is fully engaged in her career. And the breakup scene is actually really neat because he's already packed. He's already ready to go. And and she was it's like, like, this was over. I knew this was over weeks ago. Yeah. You know? It's just such like, like, I just wanted to see where this would go. Like, like, Will you go back to your wife? I mean, I'll, I'll try, but I, I think he'll, that he'll, he'll be like, most of roads. I'm back now. <laughs> yeah. But like, not like he seems more, no, he, oh, he definitely very... seems more, more in tune with like, I could go back there, but I'm probably not. Like that's not gonna work. I've like, I've broken my trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've broken he, like, her. He was self aware of everything all along. Like he knew when he was telling his wife, he's like, "I just can't stop chasing this young pussy." <laughs> and that's like, <laughs> and that's like, I know. He's like, "I'm a fucking asshole." Like about, and the blow up between him and his wife. Like, I haven't seen a good marriage fight like that. There's an episode of The Sopranos called White Caps that is very famous for the, the blowout fight that happens between Tony Soprano and his wife, and like this kind of remind parts of this reminded me of that. Like it's just such a good marriage fight where you're just like, it's just the two people that just like know everything about each other, just tearing each other apart, you know. Um, but meanwhile, uh, you have you have Howard Beale who has is now turned in. He said the mad prophet, but he's also like Max recognizes pretty early on that like while he's sailing all this cool shit, he's like mentally ill and he needs help. Yes, <laughs> and like and that's clear. It's like honestly, any anytime I, like Howard Beale says anything, I'm like yeah, fuck yeah. But also I'm like, dude, that guy don't look good. Like he starts to become clearly more and more disheveled as it's going on. And he's clearly like gotten having serious mental health issues, but like. You know the network, Robert Duvall. They don't care because it's all ratings. It doesn't matter. Like his health, his mental health is fucking not even a priority at all to them. The only person that cares is Buddy Max. Um, but he keeps getting worse and worse, and he finally goes on and gives this like rant about how the Arabs are now on the network. <laughs> and the people have to stop this deal. Like there's like some sort of deal going through. Like you know. That you know they'd be buying in the network basically, and he wants he tells his audience to put pressure on you know the you know the SEC or whatever to stop the deal. And Duvall is like, oh fuck, I'm finished. But the actual, like you said, was the president of the company, played by Ned Beatty, mm-hmm. brings him in, and then like I was like, where is this gonna go? And he just brings him in, and he gives an, an amazing speech about how, like, none of what you're saying fucking matters. Like, the world is run by money, and there is no country, there is no democracy. Like, this world is owned by the companies. Like, you know, he just lists, like, IBM, DuPont, whatever, right? And I was like, this is wild. <laughs> and- uh, it just felt like now we're going into like almost like a fantasy realm, but like he's re- he's you know for as much of a truth teller as Howard Beale is, Ned Beatty was the tr- real truth teller in this, right? Like, at yeah. least in my opinion, like 
this is how the world works, he tells them. And what you're going to do now is you're going to go out there and you're going to fucking tell them what I want you to tell them, which is that it's futile to fucking try to, like, do anything. Right? Basically, isn't that kind of like what he tells them, like, Basically, to start selling yes. people? Yeah, yeah, you're gonna sell them on. And so, you're gonna sell them on this this new message that I have specifically picked out for you. Yeah, like basically, tell you know, tell your people this is how the world. Like he's still kind of telling them the truth. In fact, he's telling them the real truth, and that they are powerless to do anything about it. So just accept it, right? Which yeah. is kind of the truth. Like, what are you gonna do? Uh, and but once he starts doing this, the, the show loses popularity. It goes down a couple per, like ratings percents or whatever the fuck. Like however they you know the ratings dip a little couple points. And uh, this is one part I was kind of like getting to the ending here. Where I was kind of like okay, like Duvall is worried about this because he's trying to run a success you know successful like you know. Yeah, I thought this part was super fascinating because I imagine this is how it would actually go in a, a real, okay. um, like a, a real network. Because you, Faye, Faye Dunaway's character, she's the, uh, she's kind of the ratings guru behind programming, and she knows she's like, well, you know, if you could stop it, like maybe we we can we can flatline and hold them at this this rating percentage, but he's actually too far gone and I think he might be too far gone. Like you're just going to keep losing and losing and losing. And then there is no replacement. Like you're going to, the other networks are going to have crept in. They're going to regain that, that spot and we're not going to be able to do it. So what do we do? <laughs> yeah, but it's weird. Cause then they like, they kick it up to, to Ned Beatty and, and like, Everybody's like, I don't give a fuck about the ratings. I like this guy out there giving the message, right? Like, he's selling, he's telling people that they're powerless, and I, I want them that to be, you know, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. But Duval and Dunaway are so like invested in that ratings thing that they don't even care. I mean, this is my this is my interpretation of it. So like, if you want to like, if you have like a different take, let me know. But like, to me, they're like. Okay, the boss is saying it doesn't matter, but like, this guy sucks now. He's not getting us the ratings. Like, they don't know or care about what the message is that he's sending. So they don't care about like the president's ultimate goal of like turning people on the sheep and accepting you know how the world is exactly. And so they're like, we gotta do something, man. Like, and they're like. <laughs> Very casually, like, well, let's just fucking assassinate him. You know what? We could get that one group that we're using for that other TV show, this, this fucking radical left group. It comes a fucking that she was developing that TV show with. That's the other thing we didn't really touch on that. There's this whole, like, TV show she devolves with these, like, left wing radicals who are basically terrorists. Uh, anyways, and then, yeah, they're like, they hire pay them, them off. And so while Howard Beale, like, and they kind of intercut them planning this to it happening, like, it cuts back between, like, their plan and it happening, and they show, like, they, he gets assassinated by one of these people on ITV as he's doing one of his shows, and that's, like, the end of the movie, and I just, at first, I guess I had to talk through it here <laughs> on our podcast, because, like, I think that's what it is, is, like, they just, like, are such creatures of 
of ratings that they don't they don't understand why the president still wants them on the air no matter what. Well, yeah, because the the two of them are like du- Duval is aiming for basically he's aiming for Jensen's spot like at some point like yeah. he, he wants to be the the, the yeah I guess so right yeah and and the only way to do that is by like he has gained his his spot on the board by bringing in like 22 23 25% profit since he took over and Faye Dunaway is like literally she is just a metrics person like this is how we do this this is what will work with the audience this is where we'll get our ratings from like and she, she just gets off <laughs> like she literally will talk about that while she's having sex yeah like that's what that's what makes her come is talking about like how she's going to get ratings so anyways that's network Chris, I really loved it. What, what, what did you think? Yeah, I did too. Um, I think the like looking at the two, and I, when I I watched Network first, and I was like, yeah, this was fucking like really neat, like really cool. And then comparing it to a face in the crowd, like I think that's a more entertaining movie. But this is like there's there's so much going on in Network that at all uh it's super fascinating it's it's terrifying that like this movie came out 50 years ago at the almost 50 years ago at this point i think and it's like why didn't we learn any of the right lessons from this film like instead we we allowed it to take over like news and like you're seeing today vice and and uh um the verge and, and all of that like closing down because we allowed people like uh like, like duval like duval to, to take over uh with money and like hey i can this can be profitable if you just let me try and instead now news has just been decimated the washington post the new york times are like shells oh, of what they yeah. used to be uh, and and their editorials are all paid by people. Like the people pay to get onto their editorial board to to write shit. And it's like this is awful. <laughs> like, why yeah. did we do this? Uh, the film though is great. Uh, Faye Dunaway, fantastic. Uh, William Holden, everyone great. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the cast was was phenomenal. Uh, ever, like it's a super engaging across the board. Um, and I just love like the little, like the little neat touches you see of them making like a TV show. Like you see, you know, when Howard Beale walks in and they, he walks through the set, sits down, and then they push the, they push like the desk behind them, and like it closes off, so it looks like he's in an office, and it's like like neat little touches on like television. So I noticed that, and it's like cool. I did notice that. I noticed, um, or uh, I did notice. I remember. I can remember the exact shot you're talking about. He like walks all the way around to the left, yeah. and then comes back behind, you know, into the set. I remember thinking that was cool. I, I always love this in movies when they show them sitting around the like big conference table, putting the, together the nightly news. Where yeah. they're like, all right, uh, we, th- this segment is a, a minute thirty. We get, or we need to chop like ten seconds to make it a minute twenty, whatever. You know what I mean? Like. I love seeing like the the sausage get made sort of thing. Yeah, it's super neat. Um, 
But uh, yeah, uh, I guess I'll let you. I mean, you kind of gave your final thoughts. You want to give a, a, a score? Or? Yeah, uh, I'm going with the same same rating as Facing a Crowd. Uh, it's a, it's an eight out of ten for me. Um, both these films are phenomenal watches. Yeah, I I I also really enjoy enjoyed these both. But like for me, Network even felt. You know, for as much as I said, a face in the crowd is an age, like, Network felt like it could have came out today, except for the fact that it actually allows scenes to breathe and have long conversations between people, which maybe nowadays doesn't happen as much. Um, but, yeah, I, I think horror movie or not, I think this is one of the best movies we've reviewed on this show. I, it's a 9.5 for me. Like, I fucking good, love good. Network. All right. Chris, you gave the same rating to both. Um, I mean, for me, I, choice. I, I think I would, I would, if you were like, hey, which one would you like to watch again? Uh, I think I would probably rather watch A Face in the Crowd. Oh, wow. Um, again. Um, but, I mean, they're both like, they're like neck and neck. I just think that A uh, Face in the Crowd is a little more um, entertaining on, on a really? moment to moment level for me. Wow, I'm I, I like again. I, I really enjoyed them both, but like I just felt like network because it is more modern, felt more modern to me, and I thought like the adult conversations in it, like and kind of like the craziness of it. It's it's definitely crazier than a face of the crowd. Face of the crowd feels like something that could happen. Yeah, network is network. Network is like network. I think what. What might I think? What maybe it's the ending, like the whole fucking assassination of Howard Beale at the end, is like the one. It's just like the bridge it's just, too far. It's the dial is just turned up just a little bit on reality and network, and I like kind of love that about network, and that's kind of that's why I go with network, which puts it as a split. I did do a poll, didn't get many votes, but like they they were a hundred percent for network, so. Network wins this one, um, but uh, I'm happy that we both enjoyed both movies, and I do think they do pair well together. This is a cool double yeah. feature you could yeah. do if you've not seen either of these movies. Chris, All what right. do we have for next time? So I told you last time I'm gonna bring the schlock, um, and and I am. We're going back to 1991. And I don't know. I'm on a vampire kick, man. This might might last all year, but uh, I have vampires. So I've been meaning to watch this series. There's five films in it. It's called Subspecies. Have you heard heard of this before? Yeah, 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 I've heard of it. Yeah. So, so I've been meaning to watch that, and this will give me a reason to start the series. So the first film we're gonna watch is the original film in that series, Subspecies, from 1991. And then I was like looking for, you know, what can I pair with this? And I came across uh, this other film called Children of the Night, also from 1991, also a vampire film. Um, and uh, we're going to do those two. And these are schlocky as hell from what I've seen of the trailers. I've never seen <laughs> either one of these, but. <laughs> like, I've never heard of the second one. I've heard of subspecies for sure. Like I've either seen like the the vhs at the store or something like that yeah i like but that. i've never heard of 
So Children of the Night, like evidently it, it appeared like when it when it debuted, it was like the Toronto Independent or Toronto Horror Fest or whatever, like whatever their big uh, horror thing that they do up in Toronto in, in October. Um, and people seem to really like it then. I don't know. I'm like looking at it. It's, it's pretty schlocky. Uh, Children of the Night, Pray for Dawn. Um, Fangoria Films presents. There, there's a there's a couple different Children of the Night. So you're looking for the 1990, 1991 version. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Okay. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's 1991 unless there's two of them that came out that year. So no, yeah, uh, that's but, it. Yeah. Uh, both of these are on Tubi. Um, so, okay. So easy to easy to watch uh, that way. And uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna watch some schlocky vampire horror from the early 90s um, well Chris at least keeping it real and keeping it on topic whereas Rob like let's just do some that's yeah, fine whatever classic films I think we had fun with them but uh yeah good. Chris bring it back to bring us back to our roots <laughs> maybe uh maybe I like overstepped it here with, with the the absolute absurdity. I think these are both like direct to, to video films, but uh subspecies hey, spawned five films. Uh one of which just came out last that, year. So that is also I mean that's the last driving. He picks these little gems out, so it's always fun and you're like, what the fuck? By the way, Chris, um I, they did a recent, they did like a Valentine's special for last drive-in, and they showed this movie called Freeway, which I had seen when it came out, but I didn't remember. Have you ever seen Freeway? Let me see. It's Reese Witherspoon, yes. <clears throat> and uh, it's like a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. It's uh, Keith Kiefer Sutherland, right? He's like a he's a serial killer. He's the wolf, you know. If you're going with the I, Little Red Riding Hood, I have, have not seen it probably since like the the mid '90s when it came out. Yeah, and yeah, it's like I saw it when it came out. I remember thinking it was really cool back when I saw it. And then Joe Bob busts it out this you know last Valentine's Day, and I was like, honestly, dude, it it, it starts off almost feeling like a trauma movie, like it's so bad, but I'm like, <laughs> it's actually good, like it's actually a good movie. And Reese Witherspoon, I think, gives like an Oscar-worthy performance. Like, it's really like kind of surprising how good the movie actually is. Should I go back uh, and give that a shot then? Sure, man. I think that might be one that's on Tubi. I mean, it's for sure on Shutter because they showed it on Joe Bob, but it's available, so to speak. And I might check out. There was a sequel with um, oh, really? Natasha Leone. Yeah, the Poker Face Girl. Huh. Uh, that I've never seen. That everyone who was watching Freeway was like, "If you like this, you should see the second one." And it was kind of like a the second one's terrible type recommendation, but like it's also crazier apparently. So I might give that a shot. But uh, if you haven't seen Freeway <laughs> since the '90s, give it another shot, Chris. It's it's it'll might surprise you. Freeway Two. Confessions of a Trick Baby. Trick Baby, yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. All right, I might have to give those a shot, and we could talk about them uh, in our what we've been watching. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, we'll be back next month with more vampires.